0: Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, January 19th, 2021 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new, if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is country singer-songwriter, George Shingleton. George was born and raised in rural West Virginia. His close-knit family was a source of comfort and support and his lifeline. Music-making has been a big part of Shingleton's life from his earliest days of singing and playing instruments in church, surrounded by multiple generations of his family. George just clicked with the music and melodies early on. He began strumming guitars at age 12, but he didn't start writing songs seriously until he was almost 30. He didn't think of himself as a writer until his move from West Virginia to Nashville, working with other songwriters, learning the songwriting craft, doing co-writes. Shingleton's influences run from Hank Williams Jr. and Waylon Jennings to Leonard Skinner and the Allman brothers. Soon he discovered that tapping into universal experiences was the best way to reach the country audience at large. Keeping it real is always Shingleton's core goal. I want to be authentic, he concludes there's little doubt his new album, Out All Nighter, will emotionally engage you in enough different ways to keep you relating directly to what George Shingleton sings and plays, joining him on his personal awakening set to music. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, George Shingleton. Hi, George. It's great to talk with you. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you also. For my listeners who may be unfamiliar, would you talk a bit about the music scene in your neck of the woods prior to the COVID-19 shutdown last March and what you've been doing since the shutdown of live music because of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, prior to COVID, I was playing man, I, I could have played 10 times a week if I wanted downtown here in Nashville. Um, I, I choose not to do that. Um, but, you know, a bit, as far as tourism and and the busyness, I mean, I don't think it could get any busier here for us as far as, you know, prior to March. Um, I, I really feel like in 10 years that I've lived here or the better part of 10 years, uh, things have changed so much. It's just, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's just blown up downtown here in Nashville. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to, to play music, whether it's yours or somebody else's there's plenty of opportunity, but um, you know, and then, then when that hit it, they shut everything down March 17th or March 13th through 17th in that area. And uh, I mean, we were dead in the water for Oh, two and a half months. And then, they finally tried to open some stuff up. We were, you know, we're playing here and there at the end of May into uh, June. And then by the end of June, they shut it down again completely as far as no music. So we were kind of in limbo again for another month and a half, two months. Uh, I think late uh, late August is when they decided to open back up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Try to let us have a go at it again. Sure. But, for the most part, I've you know, writing's been down too. I mean, honestly, Craig, I, I, there's not a lot of inspiration when you're not living life, um, uh, you know, accordingly. So uh, the only inspiration you get is is possibly doom and gloom. So uh, or at least for me, I'm not, you know, maybe not everybody else, but I live off of emotions. So, and that's how I do a lot of writing is what I'm feeling. So I have to kind of stay away from from the writing a little bit as far as writing by myself and such because it's it can get real negative <laughs> really quick. Yeah. Oh, I, I I don't
0: I don't doubt it. Well, and I you know and I I I tell you, uh, uh you know country music uh you know before I moved to Wisconsin in 92 I lived in uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area for 15 years. Hmm and uh i used to listen a lot to wbap radio which is a radio station that has been around since the 20s and, oh, wow. a, and a huge purveyor of country music going going back that far yeah and they used to have billboards up all around you know as you'd drive up and down i35 and and it'd say wbap country music tells a story and I I believe that uh, so much uh, because it it does convey a wonderful set of emotions that yes are negative maybe something positive too but but uh, are, are nonetheless uh, create a uh, an imagery that uh, I think is is very satisfying and, I, and I'll talk with you more about that that sort of thing from my my personal kind of approach. Uh, the other thing is, I'm right there with you. Of course, the Milwaukee area is not nothing compared to uh, Nashville. Uh, uh, you know, except I think we do have a corner on the market with polka musicians in in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, don't laugh too hard. Those gigs pay those those gigs pay hey, the same green man.
1: <laughs> I will not laugh at him. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny to hear someone say polka music is really the leading music. Well, in Well, <laughs> it's,
0: it's it it probably it is more or less. But, you know, I mean, we 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 celebrate the fact that 48 percent of Wisconsinites are of German heritage. So uh, anyway, but I haven't played a gig since March. The last rehearsal I even had with a group was was March 13th. So yeah, I I know what you mean. It's hard to get and stay motivated. It really is. Yeah, I understand.
1: But I'm back to work as far as downtown. But honestly, I don't thrive off of that. I thrive off of getting out on the road and playing original music. But, um, you know, I'll take the downtown cover gigs right now as much as I can get because at least I'm out there, you know, hustling and playing music and feeling like, I'm not just sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the virus to strike.
0: Yeah, so. well, I, and I'm with you. I mean, as a musician, I mean, we both know that what we get off on is that interaction with our audiences.
1: Absolutely, and, that's uh, the, that's the only thing that. That's what I don't think people quite understand. I don't get off on writing a song. I don't. I don't. You know, don't get me wrong. I like to write songs, but to play them for people and get the reactions, mm-hmm. that's where. That's the money. That's that's where the money is, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Even if there's no real viable physical money involved, the real money is people's emotions off of what you're well, off of what you're feeding them.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm gonna go off script here for a bit because today is an important day in the career of George Shingleton. It is probably <laughs> no secret to my listeners that I record interviews with my guests several days or weeks in advance of the public release of a show. And although, audience, you won't hear this interview with George until January 12th of 2021, we are recording today, December 4th, 2020. And today is important because George just released his newest album, Out All Nighter and I yeah. want to talk specifically about the album and some of the songs that personally moved me that are on the album. So if that's okay with you George, we're going to we're going to go off script.
1: That's absolutely fine with me. I love free promotion. All right, <laughs> well good.
0: Well, I have to tell you that the very first tune on the album, handful of hell Uh, I've listened to more times than any other song on the album. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And I've been moved by this song because in its real essence, it is really a song about true love.
1: It absolutely is.
0: The people in our lives, whether they're our mothers, our wives, other people who still put up with us, despite our own personal habits or shortcomings, that's, that's, that's love. And from my perspective, that's why I thought it's one heck of a love song. So would you talk a little bit about the song and what inspired you? Well, um, I'll
1: try to keep it as short as possible. I'm long winded. Uh, so my, <laughs> the song is uh, 100% about my wife and uh, she's the angel. I am the handful of hell, obviously, and um, uh, sometimes I feel I'm undeserving of her love and undeserving of her swooping me up and saving my life. And um, that's where the where the idea came from. Uh, how did I get lucky to live under her wings, basically? When I've been nothing but a handful of hell. I, I mean, I when I was young before I met my wife, I was really headed down the road that oh, it wasn't, it wasn't a good place for me to be. I probably would I I know I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for meeting my wife when I did. So um, I think it just took years for that to come out in the song. Um, I guess I thought about the idea, maybe 15, you know, 2015, 2016 and, really sat on it for probably two years trying to figure out how i was going to write that write it all out and it just wasn't i wanted this song to be special so i was struggling with it so i i I met a friend met a guy named chris paterno and we started doing some co-writing together and uh, he's from philadelphia area he doesn't live here in town any longer but um while he was here we wrote a couple songs and this was first song we wrote was one of his ideas which was a good idea and then um the second song was this one I'd i, I, I kind of you kind of baby ideas like this because you want them to be perfect you don't want them to just be um you don't want it to just be another song and um and, and this one was one that I absolutely refused to just write because it was an idea I wanted to make sure it was everything that I was inspired, the reason I was writing, I wanted it to be everything for that. So it just, I'm not gonna lie, once we started into it, I told him the hook and kind of had a melody, we started writing and and Craig, it it just fell out within an hour, hour and a half, which is really unlikely for, especially for a second co-write. This was only the second time we'd written. Usually it takes, you know, anywhere from two and a half to four hours to, to get a song out, even if it's a bad song. And um, this one just, I think it was somebody else writing it, but it was definitely not just us involved. So Mm -hmm. I think that it was, I don't know how many people believe, but I believe in a higher power. I think he had something to do with it. Uh, So it's, you know, but my wife is the full inspiration. And if it wasn't for her, man, I, I mean it. Like I would still either, I would either be dead or still in West Virginia wishing I was dead because of the life that I put, put my, put myself in. <laughs> oh, <And> I, <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of, that's where that song come from. That's wow, George, probably one I, of the
0: most meaningful songs I've ever, I've ever written. I, 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 I can tell, I can tell that because, uh, reading reading the lyrics as well as listening to them, I thought, man, this is just an ode to a strong woman who is taking care of it. And I'll tell you, I now know why it resonated so strongly with me, because I don't tell my wife, and we've been married almost 12 years, mm. I, I don't tell my wife enough that being with her has made me a better man. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: And, uh, and I really, I really believe that. And she puts up with, uh, with uh, a lot of my shortcomings as well. But <laughs> we won't go into that, but, but uh, you know, but uh, that song really spoke to me and now I know why, And you know, another one that stood out for me. Uh, and, and I guess it's because, because uh you know, country music is full of, of drinking songs. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I think uh, one of the classics, you know, Ernest Tubbs, Pass the Booze, you know, things like that. And so I was thinking about your song, Whiskey and Jesus. Yeah. And so my question for you, is this your prototypical country, come to Jesus, uh, drinking and redemption song?
1: It, it, I think that you could possibly it is I think it's um, a combination of my life um, just the lifestyles that I've lived and growing up I was raised in church really really hardcore and um, which I don't I don't have any regrets on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have all my I still try to live somewhat. By the by, the, by uh, you know, by what we were taught, and um, I'm not. Uh, it's just when I got out on my own, started doing the bar scene and playing music in the bars. Um, that's kind of where the the idea came from. Just uh, constant. It, it's a battle between living right and living in the bottle, and mm-hmm. at least for me. And so I think that I drew inspiration from from the church the growing up in the church and then also inspiration from just the bar rooms themselves. So and I think that that's really what it is about. I mean, we all know that Jesus washes away sins, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's been times where I felt like, you know, that bottle helped wash away some sins. And. Yeah. <laughs> i know that i don't want that to sound blasphemous or sacrilegious in any way but i mean we all know that it, it it happens that way so you know sometimes you have to drink you feel like you're drinking your problems away whether that's right or wrong i mean nope. it can be done at least for a moment <laughs>
0: no, i think i think you're hitting right on it i mean uh, uh, you know it, you know we are imperfect beings, and that's that's why we have repentance. And uh, and I think that we do have kind of that that uh, almost duality of, you know, we're going to sin, but right. isn't it great that God has has blessed us with a, a way to cleanse ourselves?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, well. Wow. Kind of, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if you planned it this way or not, but I thought that after Whiskey and Jesus, following up with the song, Have a Good Time, <laughs> would have <an> excellent comparison, <laughs> because because in my opinion, it's sort of like you're going right back from the frying pan into the fire with a good time party song. Well, is, that what, what the, is that what you had in mind? Uh, I didn't write that song. <laughs> okay Um, it's so funny um
1: i've loved that song since i moved to town my producer dave pahanish wrote that with the whiskey meyer guys okay uh, years ago okay and um it just stood out and was just like man that's kind of where i've come from and what i've done and what i still do sometimes you know so um it's always clicked with me it and guitars girls green grass and guns i don't want to jump
0: ahead Yeah, no, um, it's all
1: right. Those were the two songs that I had no writing on and had uh, nothing involved except the pure love for the song, uh, for the songs and the fact that, you know, my producer wrote them and he's such a great talent and such a good guy. And he's, you know, my, my oldest friend in town. I mean, he's probably a third of the reason that I came to town was because of him. And so, you know, he was always encouraging and um, that song just, there's just something about it. If you can't stomp your foot, clap your hands to that and have yeah. a good time. You're just, you're, you're never going to have a good time. I don't
0: think. Yeah, yeah. That or you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I agree a hundred percent. And I tell you, I think you're in, you're in good company because even <laughs> William Shakespeare in the midst of some of his most dramatic tragedies would throw in scenes of comedic relief. Yeah, and, and so and so have a good time coming after whiskey and Jesus, and uh, I think I, to me I thought, oh, that's just that's just really pure genius to to, to kind of compare and contrast that uh, that in your on your album.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely shows both lifestyles. That's yeah, true. it sure does.
0: <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, the the last song I specifically want to talk about from the album that really spoke to me was a stone's throw away from heaven and hell. And oh, um, not that I've personally experienced that kind of thing, but your the imagery that your lyrics created in my mind's eye was really vivid. I could see this guy. Who has had a hard yet good life, really pondering what's next? Am I on track at all with what you had in mind? Um, yes and no. Okay. Uh, I,
1: because honestly, that that song does reach out and you know to more than just what it was written about. That song was written about my grandfather. Oh. Um, that's the whole inspiration. That was another idea that just uh, I sat on for like two years I, right after he passed away. Man, I'm gonna try not to get too too deep into this because my grandfather and I were extremely, extremely close and um, uh, I try not to get emotional. Um, Anyway, he's been gone since um, 2014. I was very, very lucky. And I got my grandfather till I was right at 34 years old. Um, Out of 51 kids, uh, well, out of 11 kids, my grandfather, I'll just be, I'll try to be quick, but I think people need to know where it came from. He came from a family of 16 kids and his parents took in two more that didn't belong to him. So he was raised with 18, I mean, 17 other children. And his dad worked two full-time jobs, one for, uh, I guess it would have been the B&O railroad back then. Now it would be CSX. Um, And he worked a a brickyard full-time, two jobs, plus ran 150 acre farm with, you know, the kids and his wife, my grand, my great grandmother. And um, they never, uh, they didn't have a lot. Um, he worked and tried to support them. I mean, they, they probably did better than most uh, at, in those days. And, um, but he started, my grandfather started drinking real early, uh, 13 years old or so. His older brothers, um, they, they decided to, uh, they decided to let him start drinking early. And, um, that was a bad idea. And he never was able to put that bottle down until the last probably seven to 10 years of his life. He was able to put it down and squash it. And I think that was only because he was sickly, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, um, but he struggled his whole life with that. He didn't want to drink and he was raised to love Jesus and go to church and, you know, do the right thing. And, and I, I swear to you, the, the only downfall, I, you know, that man was perfect in my eyes. The only downfall he had was the bottle. And um, he would go six months sometimes, maybe even pushing on a year at times uh, without drinking. But he always ended up back in the bottle mm. and uh, never could put it down. He just fought so many demons. He had an older brother that died early and that he, he was really, really close with this, with, with, with that brother. And, that, and, that, and I think that drove his drinking. Um, and I think that, you know, even though he wanted to put it down, he'd already, he'd already crossed that line. And, um, but I, that's the opening line is his breath smelled like whiskey mm-hmm. and his fingers were stained from cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was uh, the epitome of my grandfather as far as when he wasn't at work. Uh, on the weekends, you know, he he had that bottle of Lord Calvert stashed in just about every every nook and cranny he could find, and uh, he was always uh, you know pulling on it. And uh, then the cigarettes, but I it's I don't know how to explain what he what he felt because I didn't feel it. I didn't feel what he felt, but I know that he was tortured in, in his mind with that bottle and with, you know, just certain things, but he had 11 kids of his own. My mom, that's my mom's dad, and, and uh, there was 11 of those kids. I've got 51 first cousins on that side of my family, and um, so, but we all, I th- you know, it, it doesn't matter from the youngest to the oldest, the oldest to the middle. Everybody looked at my grandfather as the lead man. Uh, no matter how no matter no matter if he screwed anything up when he was drinking which he didn't really he wasn't a screw up in any way he worked his butt off too and i mean he never was a lazy man he never missed a day's work you know uh he just drank and um i just think that people you know a lot of people looked at him and there, you know there's nobody in my town that knew him that will say anything bad about him other than he drank and then they still don't you know, a lot of people don't think you have a problem if you're not being a screw up. You know, yeah. Yeah. so I mean, there was times he spent his weekends in jail because of you know DUIs and such back in the '80s. Um, I remember him having to go to jail on the weekends and just staying in there mm-hmm. so he could get out on work release really on Monday. You know, Monday morning. But
0: sure.
1: other than that, you know, people they won't say nothing bad if he if he owed you money, you got your money. If 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 he told you something his His word was as good as anything else, and the, you know nobody could ever ever say that he he ripped him off or he he did anything you know that wasn't quite up to standards of what a a real man you know how a man should be so mm-hmm. you know but that's where that whole song comes from i'm sorry i, I lingered i went went around things but um
0: no it's I okay. just,
1: that he it's not hard to talk about sometimes that song is uh, I've, I've had my, my right hand, my best friend, uh, Shane Sanders. Uh, he's also the guy that plays guitar with me. Um, there's been times where he's had to like kind of sing the course a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever I get, 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 get into it deep. Um, sometimes it's, it, it, it even is an emotional song for me. So, uh, yeah. I wrote it with Larry McCoy and it it was just another song that, you know, the idea was there for so long, I think it just fell
0: out. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a great song. I, 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 just, uh, I mean, if anything, I mean, like I said, the verbal imagery of your lyrics uh, really are, they're, they're poetry. I mean, and it really uh, leads me to kind of see and see your grandfather now that I know that it's your grandfather. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, so I, it, it spoke to me because I know I was close to my grandfather too. Yeah. And, uh, and so that song is going to have even more meaning for me now that I know it's about your grandfather. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit. Okay. Share with my audience would have been some of the more memorable experiences of your career.
1: Oh wow, that's um. Well, let's see. Um, I'm gonna one of the, probably my favorite is the Bluebird Cafe. Um, getting to play that the first time and getting a standing ovation was um, probably. I feel like it's better to get a standing ovation in that room than it is at Madison Square Garden or a place <laughs> like that, you know. Um, that uh that was very memorable. That was 2012. Um, I've got to you know, just going on the road it's hard to I, I don't know that there's um certain stepping stones that I'm trying to to get, to to walk across to get to a certain place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all been uh very 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 special uh, for me, okay. Um, because I never pictured myself doing this, growing up. This wasn't this wasn't a dream of mine. This wasn't this was not where I was supposed to be. I figured at forty, you know, pushing forty, I would be uh, chasing some younguns around the yard, teaching them things that my dad taught me, and just living life in West Virginia, you know, on Shoemaker Ridge where I'm from. And um, but that didn't happen. Instead, I get to live this really awesome life. Uh, that I share with my wife. Um, well, I mean, she shared with me basically, and um, so I feel like everything that we're doing, everything we've done, that's new, is a special moment. Um, I, it's hard to pinpoint them out. I think I don't, I don't know, I don't know what would be, what would be special, any more special than other things that I've got to see and do.
0: Well, I guess we can just say that George Shingleton's living a charmed life.
1: You know what? It's the dream. Living the dream, right? You are living the
0: dream, man. You are doing it.
1: Didn't even even know this was my dream until I was in my 20s.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's just like you're in Music City, USA, and you're doing it in Music City, USA. And, you know, and you have to you have to accept the fact that it isn't going to get any better than that. And it, it it's the best that there is. And right. that's, no, that's awesome. Is. That is awesome. Well, I mean, I, well, go I, ahead. Yeah, I just don't know. Well, no, no, I just don't know
1: how to, it there's, um, I guess if I win a Grammy <laughs> or a CMA award or an ACM award or something, I think that'll probably be kind of like the peak, you sure. know, or at least part of the peak. So uh, sure. If I ever get to that spot, I think there'll be lots of celebration for a week or so. <laughs> oh, I, I don't
0: doubt it. I don't doubt it. And I'll be, uh, I'll certainly be looking for your name, most the nominees. But I think you're right. I mean, what I know about the Bluebird, which isn't a lot, I only know about it from, believe it or not, the, the Ken Burns documentary that came out last year about country music. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... uh and uh, uh, and what I read in uh, there's a great book by Bill Malone, who uh, has written a book entitled Country Music USA, which he wrote in 68 and it's never been out of print. And it's considered to be like the definitive history of uh, country music. Oh, wow. And Bill. Know that. Yeah. yeah know that and he, and even Bill. Word. Bill was from Austin and taught at Tulane in New Orleans. He now lives just down the road from me in Madison, Wisconsin. So last year, I was asked to introduce him at a book festival. And of course, I I kind of make a promise to myself, I'm not going to introduce an author whose book I haven't read. So (laughs) I read his book, all 700 plus pages, and then he was also like one of the main consultants that Ken Burns used for his documentary. Oh, so okay. In in uh, for the sake of transparency, that's all I know about the Bluebird is what I've read or seen. But I would suggest that you got that you getting a standing ovation there certainly is uh, incredibly worthwhile and a testament to your talent. That's, that's, uh, that's what I would say. Well, and, uh, very exciting. <laughs> George, I have to tell you, you know, I, I am a, uh, college professor, so I'm going to go academic on you here just for a little bit. <laughs> All right. Just because that's who and what I am. Right. But, uh, you know, the ancient Greeks and Romans, used to say that the purpose of tragedy in their drama was to serve as an an emotional cleansing or a catharsis for those in the audience witnessing the drama. Now, your new album, Out All Nighter, is filled with songs that seem to be a good emotional unloading. And I think from what you've said already, you wouldn't disagree with that statement. Did you write the songs with the idea of providing an emotional catharsis for yourself as reflections of personal experiences? Or are they songs constructed to elicit a catharsis for listeners who may have had similar experiences?
1: You know, I think it's both. I think that emotion drives my writing completely. I think that... Um, it's so. i think it was it was very therapeutic when we were when, when these songs were being written to get my thoughts and my feelings out or at least how i perceived things like the song about my grandfather what i saw in it mm-hmm. i didn't see a drunk i didn't see somebody that um you know couldn't keep his proverbial uh, shit together sorry uh, if, if i'm not allowed to say that i apologize um but uh, if he could, he, he kept his stuff together. And I think that that's what I was trying to convey. And I think that's what I felt and saw. And I think that there's so many people that can relate to that, especially from that generation or my generation that saw their dad or their, their grandfather struggle with you know drinking or anything like that. And so, and I think the other songs just, I think they come out the same way. I think that it's just maybe thoughts that I've had, feelings that I've had, and mm-hmm. they just they just they show themselves and they show themselves in a in a melody, um, in a chord progression, more mm. so than uh, more so than just writing them on paper. Um, I've always been. I think that's why I like Marl Haggard music so much because I've always felt that his lyrics flowed with the music to make the song. It wasn't one or the other that made that song. If you didn't have the same melodies that you had with his lyrics or vice versa, I don't think the songs would have been near as um, influential maybe, or as near as, um, uh, I don't know what the word, I I hate not having the word. Um, I don't think that they would have spoke to people the way they did if they didn't have the same they had to have that combination to get it out. I don't think, I don't think just his words being on paper would have been enough. I think the melody drove those words. So, I think hmm. that that's kind of where I, I want to be. Uh, I want my melodies to to go with the words to pull the same exact emotion that you think about when you're reading those words or when you're hearing those words. I want the music to pull that, give you that feeling, to go with it. And I think that um i think that it's working <laughs> as far as
0: being able to match it up see that's the thing that i i find interesting as a you know as a, an academic and that is i find similarities like in what you do and what you're talking about and i will tell you this you're again like i mentioned earlier about shakespeare you're also in a good good league with the uh, classical composers of like 400 years ago, when there was a change in in music, and the statement was that the melody is the mistress of the of the words or the lyrics, and it's okay. the, and it's the music that enhances the the emotion of the lyric. Kind of what, exactly what you were just saying about about uh, uh, you know, about your music. And uh, so I think, I think you're right there, you're right there. That's great. Awesome. And, I didn't even know that. That's great. Uh, yeah. Well, another, see, I don't know how many college prof- music professors you talk to, see, but uh, you know,
1: <laughs> I don't talk to very many because most won't give me the time or
0: day. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one does. Cause I appreciate They don't want, your... to, waste, they don't want to waste all that intellect and knowledge. <laughs> on <me. laughs> Well, that's, you know, that's because I see things a little bit differently, I guess, than some of my colleagues. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the fact no. that you mentioned Merle Haggard, man, the yeah. light bulb just went over my head because I've been asking myself for weeks who you remind me of. Because mm. when I listen to you, I mean, you're unique. Don't get me wrong. You're not a, no, no. you know, you're, you have a unique voice. But it reminded me, and I kept thinking, is it Waylon Jennings? Well, sort of. But now that you've said Merle Haggard, man, I think that that's, I'm hearing his uh, singing and comparing it with yours. And I'm going, yeah, George reminds me of Merle Haggard. So <laughs> I think <laughs> that's that, pretty, you're in good company. <laughs> yeah.
1: I uh, You know, I was in my early twenties before I realized how good Merle Haggard was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we would we didn't listen to any country music growing up in my house it was all gospel but when I would go to my grandfather's um, a couple of my uncles they were still living at home they would they would have Skinnerd on Merle Haggard Waylon Jennings Hank Jr and all these awesome you know awesome awesome uh, musicians and writers and stuff all the time playing but it didn't click for me that Merle was so good until my mid-20s probably and I was just like why have I? Where have I been? Like why have I not dug into this guy and listened to every little thing I could get my hands on from him? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, he and that but he's that whole, definitely uh, a
1: hero. So.
0: Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. But I think now that now that when I go back and listen to your recordings again. I'm going to be, I'm going to be armed with a whole nother level of insight since our conversation. So this is great. Well, you've already kind of talked with us about your creative process. And, uh, and uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to skip down to uh, a question a little further down. Uh, Do you keep uh, uh, any kind of a sketchbook uh, with ideas of melodic ideas or vamps or other musical ideas that you might draw upon later?
1: I, you know, I talk trash on smartphones all the time and iPhones, but um, okay, how how much they've kind of ruined society. But at the same time, I'm very guilty of throwing in a uh, a lyric just in my notes, mm-hmm. even if it's not a hook for a song, it could be a lyric for a song. And uh, if I if something strikes, I I will hurry up and stop whatever I'm doing right then and throw it in that phone real quick. Uh, just so that I have it in case I need it, and sometimes I find myself sitting at home, um, just strumming, running ideas maybe, and mm-hmm. I'll record on my voice memos just chord progressions and some melodies, maybe the idea of the you know what I'm thinking for the progression. But for the most part, a lot of it comes out very organically. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm sitting down to write a song and just start kind of tinkering with a melody or tinkering with a chord progression for the melody. And then, you know, a lot of times a lyric will fall out that'll match it. Maybe, maybe the hook even Uh, that's the goal is to get the hook to fall out quick. Sure. What I'm writing about. Um, But I, you know, I really enjoy co-writing. So to sit and make myself write for three or four hours a day by myself, doesn't happen very often, and the only time it does is if I've had a revelation from God, you know, <laughs> or something. Just, just something's came to me that I didn't even mean for it to happen. Then I'll sit down and try to finish it so that I don't lose the thought. But for the most part, I feel like everything kind of happens very natural, especially if I'm co-writing with other guys. Just get in a room, we we start jamming around, talking about what's what's been happening in our lives, you know, and to me that, that, you know, has something, you know, to me, that's saying, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's more fun, I guess, to just let it to just kind of sit down and maybe try to force one out. It's kind of fun because you're working your brain, obviously. Um, and then there's other times where it's hard work and when you're done, your brain is tired. Like I, when I first started writing real heavy, um, uh, the first few months was really torturous for me because I was tired, really tired after co-writes and after writing all day. Sure uh, you are. So, and I didn't realize that you could get that tired from, from mental fatigue. I'd, I'd, I'd never felt that before all my life. Prior to that was uh, physical labor. And I, uh, so when I started using my brain more, it was just, Wow. I didn't know I could be this tired from just sitting in a room, strumming my guitar, trying to work, write lyrics. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I just kind of, I, I much prefer just letting them fall out or just mm-hmm. sit down and playing instead of saving things. I, I don't have a lot of success with saving chord progressions and melodies, to be honest that, you know, okay. I'm just around, I feel like the, the more, the more I do it just to do it, to say I'm doing it, I feel like there's more success in that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess I never thought of it until you asked me that.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's the kind of thing that a lot of this is is probably already inside you. It's just finding the right conduit to let it come out. Maybe it you know. I think I think on. that's that's part of that creative process. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the French composer. Here here I go, academic again. The (laughs) The French composer Claude Debussy used to say that the inspiration is easy. It's the composition that's hard. Because he would say that inspiration is like seeing a flash of lightning. And then the composition is like trying to recreate what you saw. And I think that's kind of what I hear you saying is that you have a particular emotion or a particular idea. And then the real work is fleshing that out musically. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. And I think for non-music people of all stripes, we need to continue to remind them that art is hard work.
1: Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Whether It might not be physical, but it is hard on the mental side of things when you're yeah. You want it to be perfect. If you start something, you don't want to just you don't want to half well, you don't want to do it halfway. You, no. you absolutely want it to be um the most perfect thing. It's you know, it's like a baby, I guess. Sure. Baby to be perfect. You want everybody to say, Oh, look at that cute baby, you know. And oh, that's yeah. how we feel about our songs, I guess.
0: Well, sure. I mean it's your it's a very personal kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I, I feel like we are so much on the same page with a lot of things. But George, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I have not asked you about?
1: I, I can't think of anything. We've went pretty deep. <laughs> okay well i you, that i tell you, you that me.
0: makes me feel good because i'm i'm not a professional interviewer so <laughs> i guess i'm i'm doing something right Amen. so i want uh, i want to thank you george for taking time to talk with me today
1: absolutely thank and you.
0: i am so much looking forward to covid going away so you can get back to being inspired to write more songs like the ones on your new uh album and all your other. Previous songs, and I also want to mention to my audience because you will hear this after the holidays. But George also has a wonderful Christmas recording that is out, and it's available on. Uh, you can hear it on iTunes and Spotify yeah. and other places where you get digital music. So uh, you want to want to take advantage of that. So uh, thank you, George, and all the best with you, what Greg. I'm sure will be a continued successful musical future. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you, Craig. My Discovery Composer of the Week is Ingolf Dahl. Born 1912, died 1970. Dahl was a German-born American composer, conductor, pianist, and educator. His formal music education began at the Cologne Hochschule for Music, He fled the Nazi regime to continue his studies at the Zurich Conservatory and the University of Zurich. He later studied composition with Nadia Boulanger in California. Dahl left Europe in 1938 and settled in Los Angeles. He engaged in several musical activities there, including work for radio and film studios. He joined the faculty at the University of Southern California in 1945 and remained there until his death. At USC, he conducted the symphony orchestra, as well as taught composition, music history, and conducting. One of his most celebrated courses at the university was on Stravinsky's music. Dahl received numerous awards, including Guggenheim Fellowships, Huntington Hartford Fellowships, the 1948 Publication Award of the Society for the Publication of American Music. His varied career, left his compositional output relatively small. His work reflects the changes in his musical environment. His early works reflect German Expressionism of the 1920s. The impact of America and his collaboration with Stravinsky resulted in a clarification of texture, a trend toward diatonicism and interest in timbre and instrumental virtuosity. Dahl also used serial techniques in his music and evolved large structures held together by motivic and tonal interrelationship and complex harmonic forces. This development led to his Sinfonietta for Concert Band written in 1961. Another peak in his work is the almost neo-romantic Aria Symphonica of 1965. The All Music Guide indicates 14 of Dahl's compositions as having been recorded, including 10 different recordings of his Concerto for Alto Saxophone and Wind Ensemble, three recordings of his sinfonietta for concert band, six recordings of his music for brass instruments, and three recordings of variations on a Swedish folk tune for flute, just to mention a few. Unfortunately, I'm finding no commercial releases of Dahl's Aria Sinfonica other than one posted to YouTube as recorded by the Buffalo Philharmonic, May 1st, 1965, under the direction of Dahl. And the link to the YouTube video of that performance is included in my show notes. Another source is from a website entitled, From Kusevitsky Tape Collection. And the link to that website is also included in my show notes. Well, that wraps episode 13. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hearst. Coming up in the next few weeks will be a focus on my musical universe closer to home. Next week, will be my interview with Allison M. of Wisconsin Music Ventures, a new production company in the Milwaukee area. We'll be talking about Allison's efforts to promote music in the greater Milwaukee area and challenges she has faced in doing so with the COVID-19 pandemic. Also upcoming will be interviews with local vocalist Barb Steffen, Michael Grassman, a former student of mine and local music entrepreneur, blues harmonica player and local musical impresario, David Harmonica Miller, and Matt Antoniowicz, trumpet player, music manager, and promoter. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at -at h-u-r-s-t-c-at-u-w-m-dot-e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.